Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you again. Thank you so much for joining us online for our worship service. And I don't know about you, but I am super excited. I'm pumped up uh, as we prepare to uh, resume uh, worship services here on campus. And uh, so at this point, I simply ask you to keep praying. Uh, stay tuned uh, for all the latest details as we develop a, a pathway to move forward. And, and certainly I want to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit when we do this. Uh, but I want to make sure uh, that we are uh, following the Holy Spirit's leading, that we're coming up with a plan that's both biblical and responsible understanding that I'm the one that's going to give an answer to God for how we operate here on this campus. And so uh, just because you may hear some other church uh, opening or doing something, I want to make sure that we do what is best for us. Um, we are in a precarious position. The church's location sits right on the border of Prince William County. And so uh, uh, there's a number of of cases of this virus there and, and increasing. And, and so certainly just ask that you be praying for us as we develop these plans. I'm super excited though because we have a few surprises in, in, the, uh, in the makes uh, for the potential days when we might open up. So anyway, enough said about that. I appreciate your prayers and your support. Uh, if you have your Bible ready, pick it up and turn with me this morning to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. This morning, we're going to conclude our short series on dealing with the devil. And it's important to understand that this doesn't encompass all. This series doesn't encompass all that we probably should um, talk about when we consider uh, the wiles or the methods of the devil. But certainly, I hope it's been a blessing to you and Hopefully by now uh, you have memorized or you're uh, in the process of memorizing 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8, which the Bible tells us these words. It says, to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Truly, folks, it's important that you and I understand that the devil is not our friend. In fact, he's our foe. He is our enemy. He seeks to devour us. Uh, that word devour means to swallow us up, uh, to almost like to chew us up, right? Uh, chew us up and, and spit us out. That's exactly what he wants to do. And as such, the devil, he unleashes attack after attack. He'll unleash anything and everything in his arsenal really to wreck our lives, to wreak havoc in our lives. And so it's incredibly important that we understand the methods there of, of the devil. Uh, in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 10, notice what the Bible tells us. It says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of the brethren, notice those words, is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. And so let's, let's suppose a few things. Suppose that we as believers, that we fail to take advantage, right, of our victorious position that we have in Jesus Christ. And let's say that we uh, refuse to arm ourselves with all the, uh, the armor that God has provided for us, and we just continue to live in sin. We continue to sin after sin after sin, and, and we're really not walking in a way that pleases the Lord. You would think uh, that, by the way, I'm sure that never happens, but you would think that if that were the case, that the devil would simply leave us alone. You would think that he would just simply leave us alone uh, to, to flounder about, but that's not the case. In fact, in Scripture, we'll see today that the devil has another strategy. He has another form of attack that he uses to make disobedient disciples, right? To make disciples, Christ followers who are disobedient, to make disobedient disciples uh, feel especially defeated. And so let's look in Zechariah. In fact, Zechariah chapter 3. I want you to look in Zechariah chapter 3 and let's see what the Bible says tells us here, we, we can see and read about a, a, this type of attack that the devil unleashes. And here in Zechariah chapter 3 
And we're going to begin at the beginning of the chapter. And it's important to understand that this is the fifth of ten visions that God has actually given to Zechariah. And so we, we catch it kind of right in the middle there. And uh, I don't know about you, but can you imagine going to bed uh, one night and having ten separate dreams or visions? This is what's taking place. They were all given to Zechariah in one night. And so this is number five. Notice what the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 3 in verse number 1 and following. And the Bible says, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you for the gift of music and the songs that we have sung and this, this day that you have made, a day that we're able to gather to worship you in spirit and truth. And Lord, I pray that you will open up the eyes of our understanding that we might be aware of another strategy, another attack that the devil seeks to use to destroy, to deceive, and to, to devour our lives, really. And so, Lord, I pray that your word would fall upon the good soil of our hearts. Certainly, as always, we pray that if there's somebody, Lord, that is watching, somebody that is listening, that has never trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their own sin to, to come into their life and to become their Lord and Savior, God, we pray that that would be first and foremost today. Lord, I pray that believers would be encouraged. I pray that believers would be blessed, but also that we would be challenged. God, that we might live a life that brings you honor and glory. Lord, I pray that you'll have your will and your way during this time and that, uh, as we've said, that your word will fall upon the good soil of our hearts and we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you'll do. And we pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior and for his sake, amen and amen. Well, again, it's good to be with you. And as we notice our text in Zechariah chapter 3, it's obvious that this scene is unlike really any that we have looked at so far think about it when the devil came to eve on earth he attacked her mind when the devil comes to job on earth he attacked job's body remember the fruit of his body uh the means to sustain his body and his physical body and then last week or week before last rather because of mother's day we looked at uh, when the devil came to david and stood up and tempted david he was uh, attacking his will right? But that also took place on earth. And so today our passage actually reveals that this particular attack takes place or it's initiated, if you please, in the heavenlies or in heaven. And so let's look right away in uh, verse number one. I think we can, as reading this text, we can see right away that the devil's target, right? He has a target. And this time his target is our heart and our conscience. Again, this passage, we're reading about a vision that God has given to Zechariah. And if you didn't pick it up, it's like a courtroom scene in which God is the judge, Joshua, the high priest, is the defendant. Now, it's important to understand that this is not Joshua who led the children of Israel into the promised land. This is Joshua, the high priest, who served uh, the Jews when they came back from their Babylonian captivity. And so you got God as the judge, Joshua the high priest as the defendant, the angel of the Lord or the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, right, as the defense uh, attorney, if you please. And then we see that Satan or the devil is the prosecutor. And right away as we read, we only read four verses, it, it looks like the devil has a strong case. Because one of the first things we notice about this passage is that, that uh, Joshua the high priest is in filthy garments. And so uh, the high priest in the function of his duties, it was imperative 
that they wear uh, clean garments. And so uh, when we see this in Scripture, we have to ask ourselves, what's going on here? And so I put down in my notes that this vision that's given to Zechariah is at a time when the nation of Israel is just continuing to sin and to sin and to sin against the Lord. Surprise, surprise, right? And, and so the hope was this. That, and, and by the way, Joshua's guilty of sin as well. But the hope was that when the people returned to Palestine following their Babylonian captivity, the hope is that they would, have, they would obey God, that they would serve God. But this is not the case, right? They, they haven't learned their lesson. And so uh, the devil knew that they're sinful. And so he stands up to resist Joshua, the high priest who represents the nation of Israel. And, and he's basically uh, standing up against him. In fact, in verse number one, look at verse number one. The Bible says, and Satan standing at his right hand to, notice these words, to resist him. In other words, to bring charges against him. And I put down in my notes, folks, that you and I can be sure that when the people of God, when we live in sin, that dirty devil, the accuser of the brethren, he not only observes it, he not only accuses us, but he continually seeks our condemnation. That's, that's one of his methods. That's one of his, his desires, plans that he uses is to seek our condemnation. So in verse number three, look down. When we see that Joshua's filthy garments are on, it, this is a representation, and I'll say more about this here in just a second, but it's a representation of his sin, but also Israel's sin. And in fact, if you and I were to read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and all the prophecies of Zechariah and Haggai and Malachi, we would see, right, that Jewish men, I put down on my note, Jewish men were divorcing their wives and marrying heathen women. Jewish merchants were charging excessive interest rates. And here's where Joshua comes in. The priests were actually robbing God and saving the best sacrifices for themselves. And so there was corruption and sin all over the place. And the devil knows it. He knew it. And so he stands up. To resist, he's standing at the right hand over there, uh, so to speak, of Joshua the high priest. And he stands up to resist him. I put down in my notes that honestly, it's like what happened to me and my siblings when we were kids, right? We would be outside playing in the dirt. And uh, uh, the reality is when you play in the dirt, you get dirty. But I remember as a kid, uh, mom and dad would say, how did you kids get so dirty? which is kind of a silly question. I love you, mom and dad, but it's kind of a silly question. How did you kids get so dirty? But what was even more silly was our response. We were like, uh, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Yes, we did know. When you play in the dirt, you get dirty, right? And that's why it's so incredibly important for us to make sure that we're protecting our heart. Because the devil's target is our heart and our conscience. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, the Bible says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You see, the devil knows that if he's able to get a hold of my heart or your heart, if he's able to get a hold of our conscience, then he's won the battle. It's, it's you know, whether he's attacking uh, our, our mind or our body or our will, or he's making accusations against us, which go straight to the heart of us as believers. He understands that if he wins this and he gets this uh, attack deep seated into our heart, that he's won the battle. That's why it's so incredibly important for you and I, as Ephesians 6.14 says, to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, you and I understand this as believers. If you're a believer, you understand that this is speaking of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, right? We're not standing uh, with the righteousness of ourselves in a breastplate of our own righteousness. Our righteousness is not worthy, right? Joshua's garments are filthy because of sin. And the reason they're filthy is because the people were sinful and he was sinful himself. Look at verse number three. I want you to see this. The word filthy, the word filthy in verse number three actually means soiled. And it's a symbol of sin. And, and it pictures the fact that Joshua's priestly garments have been soiled by habitual sin. And, 
it actually, when you look up the Hebrew, it says soiled as if excrementitious. Now think about this for a second. Some of your, the wheels are turning as if excrementitious. And so while it's a hard pill to swallow and a little bit uncomfortable for me to say over the airways and probably a little bit uncomfortable to hear on the receiving end of this, this idea of his garments being filthy are being compared to human excrement. This is how filthy his garments were. This is how disgusting they were. And when we think of our righteousness, Isaiah in chapter 64 and verse number 6, the Bible says we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. In other words, our sinfulness stinks. It's, it's literally a stench in the nostrils of God. Last week, I think I referred to the fact that sin, when, when we really get a grip of sin and we understand it, that it takes us further than we want to go. It keeps us longer than we want to stay. And in the end, you've heard this before, that it cost us more than we're willing to pay. It was, a, it was, a, it was literally uh, putrid to the nostrils of God. And I'm guessing in this moment, when Satan stands up and the Bible says that he was there to resist him, I'm guessing that Joshua, the high priest, that his heart was broken. Can you imagine standing before God? He's wanting to serve God. And yet there is the devil accusing, making accusations against him. And as God looks at Joshua's garments, they're filthy, stained with sin. I imagine his heart was broken. But even more than this, I believe that his conscience was beaten down. Have you ever felt embarrassed? I remember as a kid, sometimes when I would get caught lying, when I would get caught doing something that I shouldn't do. I remember a particular story when my brother, one of my brothers and I, we were playing in the, in the garage and we were throwing uh, kindling sticks back and forth. And, and I remember that an errant throw landed a stick through the garage window. And we came up with a great story. We were going to tell our parents that, that there was a burglar who tried to break into our house. And I remember... When my dad came and he woke me up and he took me downstairs to discipline me, to, to encourage me, right? Uh, to give me uh, some instruction, if you please. I remember that my heart was broken, but I also remember my conscience was beaten. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed because I thought that I could lie to my earthly father and get away with it. How much uh, worse is it when we think that we can lie, Right? And sin and sin and sin. And we think we're going to get away with it in front of God. The devil knew this. And so he sets his targets on the heart and the conscience. But sometimes uh, after doing this, we wonder what's the weapon that he's using? Well, we see right here in our text plainly that his weapon is accusations. In verse number one, the Bible says, And Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Joshua represents himself and the nation of Israel, but he's also a picture of you and I today. As we look at this passage, we understand that this is what we will all come before the throne of God, and the devil will be there accusing us. And quite honestly, he's probably there accusing us today. You see, when we stand before our God, that old accuser of the brethren, He's going to be standing there. And I look at Zechariah's vision here in chapter 3 and his argument is simple. It's really simple. It's like he didn't have to go to law school to come up with this argument. He stands before God and he says, hey, look at him. He says, look at Joshua. Look at your children down there. Look at the nation of Israel. Look at your so-called people. They're filthy. They're covered with sin. They're, they're sinful. They're filthy. They're useless. They deserve to be judged. And quite honestly, the devil has a good case because they are sinful. Which is why it's such a huge reminder to me and hopefully for you this morning that we must walk in holiness. It's so important that we walk in holiness. Peter understood this. He wrote to those Jews who were dispersed all over the known world in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 15 and 16. And the Bible says this. It says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of... Notice this word conversation. It means be ye holy in all manner of your conduct. In verse number 16, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I... Am holy. 
The Apostle Paul understood this as well. And he writes to the church at Philippi in Philippians 1 in verse 27 saying this. He says, only let your conversation, again notice that word, it alludes to the fact he's speaking of your conduct. He says, only let your conduct or the way that you live be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Oh, my friends, we can be sure that whenever we are living in disobedience to God or in discord with God, the devil is going to move into action. And I can assure you that he is always well prepared. And so it's important that we endeavor to live holy lives. Oh, yes, he's a subtle serpent who slithers about seeking whom he may devour. Before we sin, I put in my notes, before we sin, it's, it's, it's like, like he told Eve. It, it, he, he's like saying, it's no big deal. You can get away with it. Remember in the garden, he says, hey, God knows that when you eat the fruit that you're not going to die. He thinks you're going to be big stuff. Uh, when he attacked Job's body, it was Job's wife who said, listen, curse God and die. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. Uh, and even with David, hey, it's your army. Number your army. Do, do what you do, David. And so before we sin, he says, hey, it's no big deal. You can get away with it. And then immediately when we sin, after we sin, he screams out, you're never going to get away with it. God sees your sin. You're terrible. You're awful. And he throws and hurls all types of accusations our way. You see, there's a big difference between the devil's accusations and the Holy Spirit of God's conviction or convincing in our lives. I was talking with my wife and I said, we really don't need conviction. We already know we're guilty, but the Holy Spirit convinces us. He exposes, if you please, our sinfulness. But I put down in my notes that the devil, he, he accuses us uh, because he hates us and he wants to destroy us. But the Holy Spirit of God convinces us because He loves us and He wants to cleanse us. He wants to restore us and to reconcile us back into uh, fellowship with the Father. Oh, Jesus declared in John chapter 16 and verse number 8, He said, and when He, speaking of the Holy Spirit, is come, He will reprove or, and that word reprove actually means to convince or expose. He says, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I was reading in preparation for this message and in his March 2019 article entitled Seven Ways the Holy Spirit Convicts the World of Sin, it was Joseph Matera who wrote these words. He said, the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin with the express purpose of reconciling them to God. The devil brings condemnation with the express purpose of shaming people into, watch that, running away from God. You see, as he tries to attack our heart and our conscience, if he can get us to the point where our heart is broken, where our conscience is beaten down and embarrassed before God, see, the, his desire is for us to run further away from God. To say, God, I'm so sinful. I don't want you to look at my sin. I, I, I've got filthy garments on. And so if he can attack and target our heart and conscience, and he uses accusation after accusation to do that, then he's won the battle because we're moving further away from God. But if we'll listen to the small, still voice of God, the leading, the guiding, the teaching of the Holy Spirit of God, oh, we'll, we'll, we will want to draw closer to God. It's been said also this, it says, uh, someone else said, the Holy Spirit is like a man with a lamp entering a dark and dirty room to expose and shine light on what we have learned to live with in the dark. And in so doing, our sinfulness becomes repugnant to us in the light. You see, sin is already repugnant to God. But when it's exposed to us, the point of the Holy Spirit uh, exposing it to us is that it might become repugnant to us. Oh yes, we must learn to distinguish between Satan's hateful accusations and the Holy Spirit's loving convincing. You see, uh, a feeling of guilt or shame is a good thing when it comes from the Holy Spirit of God. It's actually a great thing. See, because when the Holy Spirit of God is convincing us or exposing darkness to us, He uses, how does He do it? He uses the Word of God. He uses the Word of God in love to, to convince us in order to restore us. 
Not to, not to, uh, to rip us apart. The Holy Spirit of God uh, shines light into our life through the Word of God so that we might be reminded of our sinfulness and repent of our sin. His, his desire is never to rip us apart or to destroy us. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 119 and verse 105, right? The Word, thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Oh, when we listen to the devil's hateful accusations, which, by the way, are intended to make us feel hopeless and helpless, we open ourselves up to despair and also to really spiritual paralysis. Because if we're running further away from God, right? If we're, if we're turning our back and we're running away because we are, we are embarrassed because of our sin, that we're running away from God, we're not going to be growing. We're not going to be in God's word. We're not going to be praying. We're not going to be people of the word. We're going to be people of the world. So it's incredibly important for us. And, and the reason that happens in our life is because we end up, when, the, when we believe the hateful accusations of the devil, we end up focusing on ourselves rather than on the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior. In Romans chapter 3 in verses 21 and following, the Bible says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, watch this, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Folks, when you and I stand clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, there is no one, there's absolutely nobody that can bring a charge against us. Why? Because as 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, walking about seeking whom he may devour. Praise the Lord. I might get excited in this empty auditorium today. What an amazing Savior we serve. But I, but I look at the target our heart and our conscience, and, and we see in this passage that the devil will accuse, and Revelation says he's the accuser of the brethren, right? But I, I have to ask myself, what's the purpose? What's the purpose in the attacks uh, that the devil makes as he, as, he, as he draws a bead, so to speak, in his scope on our heart and our conscience, and he, and he continues to make accusations? I have to ask myself, what is his purpose? And I think his real goal or purpose quite honestly, is to bring an indictment against God's will. It's to bring an indictment against God's will. It's, it, it really has nothing, it, it does have something to do with you and I, but it's really to bring an indictment against God's will because you think about it, we just talked about it a moment ago, that God's will, we find in His Word, by the way, is that you and I be holy, that we live holy lives. But the devil, he doesn't want us to be holy he wants us to live unholy, unholy lives, right? He wants us to feel guilty, to experience regret and remorse, but not repentance. He doesn't mind if we experience regret and remorse. He doesn't mind if, we're heart, if our heart is broken or our conscience is embarrassed or beaten down, right? But he doesn't want us to repent. He wants to keep on accusing us and so that you and I will focus our attention on ourselves rather than on Jesus. The devil, I put this down in my notes, the devil wants us to quite honestly to believe that God hates us. He wants us to believe that God hates us, that he is through with us, and that he can do nothing more for us. He wants us to believe that it's over. That's why he continually accuses us. And as long as you and I feel guilty, we are under indictment. We are under his indictment and ultimately I feel like it's been this way in my life, right? When I feel uh, discouraged or depressed or I feel like the devil is attacking me and telling me how bad I was back then and there, I'm, I, I get my focus off of where it needs to be. And that's the same for all of us. True conviction from the Holy Spirit will move us closer to God, not further away. Satan, by the way, is a master of uh, bringing up those old skeletons out of our closet. Anybody got some old skeletons out there? He's a master of using old skeletons in our closet. He reminds us what we did 30 years ago, 
20 years ago, 10 years ago, last year. He, he might even be reminding you that right now what you did this morning. He's a master of pulling out skeletons in our closet. We must quit listening. We must quit allowing him to remind us of things that God has already forgiven and forgotten. Jesus died on the cross for our sins to forgive all of our sins, our past sins, present sins, future sins. And so we must quit allowing the devil to make us feel guilty and understand that the Lord wants us to know that we have been forgiven. Sadly, though, many churches still... Uh, major on guilt. I know a lot of churches that major on guilt. We, we must be very careful. I'll, I'll talk to you about dealing with the devil and I'll talk to you about uh, our, our sinfulness. We, we all know that we're sinful, but I don't ever want to major on guilt. I don't ever want to try and guilt somebody uh, to serve the Lord. I don't want to guilt somebody about their sin. That's not uh, God's plan. That's, that's the devil's plan. And so uh, I think about uh, situations uh, that I've heard about, but in the Bible, we think about the situation that Paul faced at the church of Corinth. Um, one of the members, quite honestly, in Corinth had, uh, had been living in open sin, uh, refused to repent of that sin and to make things right, not only with God, but also with the local New Testament church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in Paul's first letter, Paul tells the church that they need to discipline this man, that they need uh, he, that this guy is in, in involved in sin and that they need to discipline him. And so apparently the church got the message because that's what they did. But what you'll see is they took it a little bit too far because in 2 Corinthians, in his second letter to the church at Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6, notice the Bible says this. It says, sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. So at first, the church, in his first letter, the church had been complacent and they had refused to act. So Paul writes them. He wakes them up through this letter. God wakes up their hearts, so to speak. And so they begin to act. They, they begin to act to take care of this, uh, to exercise a little bit of discipline. But the reality is they go too far. They go to extremes. They make it so hard on the offender that he's not forgiven. Nobody would forgive him. And so Paul continues to write in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Notice what the Bible says in verse 7. It says, so that contrarywise, ye ought rather to forgive him and to comfort him, lest perhaps such a, a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. In other words, that they would be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Notice he continues in verse 8. Wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write. He says, hey, don't forget I wrote this as well. That I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. Verse number 10. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgive it, you, for your sakes forgive I it in the person of Christ. But notice verse 11. He says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul was saying that we are not ignorant of his plans, of his thoughts, of his methods. We know that the devil right, is out there seeking to deceive and to destroy and to rule and to accuse the lives of, of believers. And so we have to be careful. We understand his methods. We have to understand, folks, that just because the devil brings an indictment against God's will doesn't mean that we have to buy into it. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse number 10, that the thief cometh but not for it, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But he goes on and he says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus was all about giving us the abundant life. The devil wants, nothing, wants us to have nothing to do with that. Excessive guilt and sorrow has nothing to do with the abundant life that Jesus Christ offers. And it can honestly lead to depression and despair, defeat and destruction. And so we see that the devil sets his target on our heart and our conscience and he hurls accusation after accusation and his, his purpose really is to bring an indictment against the will of God, which is for you and I to live holy lives. So what is our defense? What can we put into practice in a very real way? 
I got some great news for you. It's the greatest defense of all. It's the interceding Son of God. Oh yes, it's true. The devil stands at our right hand to resist us by making accusations against us. But it's also true that our Lord Jesus Christ, He sits, He stands, whatever He wants to do at the right hand of God the Father to make intercession for us. Oh, what a Savior. Hebrews chapter 7 in verse number 25, the Bible says, Wherefore He, Jesus, is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by Him, seeing, notice these words, that He ever liveth to make intercession for them. John actually writes in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1, notice he begins by saying, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. Now he says, he says, I'm writing all this to you so that you understand not to sin. But keep reading on. He says, and if any man sin, he says, I got some good news for you. Because I know that you're sinful just like I am. He says, if any man sin, he says, we have an advocate with the Father. Notice who he says the advocate is. Jesus Christ, oh, the righteous. Oh, folks, our Lord finished His work on earth and He returns to heaven. Remember, He tells His disciples He's going uh, uh, into heaven to prepare a place for them. And that if He prepares a place, He'll come again and receive them unto Himself. But He's also going there. What's the work that He's doing in heaven? He's also working out. He's perfecting us. He's preparing us for glory. And so while He finished His work on earth, He's... He's doing work even now in the heavenlies on our behalf. In Hebrews chapter 13, the Bible says this in verse number 20 and 21. It says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that, notice it says, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of everlasting covenant. Notice it says, Make you perfect in every good work to do His will. What's he doing? He's perfecting us. Notice it goes on. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, what a wonderful plan that is being worked out in our life. We are being perfected and prepared for glory. In fact, Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in verses 21 and following. The Bible says, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good abstain from all appearance of evil. The way that you and I abstain from all appearance of evil is to live holy lives. That's God's will, that we be holy as He is holy. So we abstain from all appearance of evil. Verse 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly or completely, and I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved, notice this word, blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 24, how, how incredible is this verse? It says, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. When we listen to the devil's accusations, we end up focusing on ourselves. We end up focusing on our sin. We, we end up taking the focus off of God. But when we listen to the Holy Spirit of God who lovingly convinces us, who lovingly reminds us that sin separates us from God, the result is that we will naturally want to turn back in faith to Jesus Christ, right? Who is our advocate with the Father, who Scripture says He ever lives to make intercession for us. What a defense attorney we have in Jesus Christ. As believers, we belong to Jesus Write this down if you haven't ever done this. As a believer, just write it down. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. Therefore, God the Father can never reject me. That's not braggadocious. If it is, it's bragging on Jesus. As we read about in Galatians chapter 6. Right? We're going to glory in anything. We glory in the Lord. It's not that God can't reject us because of us. He can't reject us because we belong to His Son. Look back in our text at what took place in verse number two. It's an amazing scene here. In verse number two of our text, Zechariah chapter three, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee. This is God speaking to Satan. The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? You and I, 
are just brands that have been plucked out of the fire, out of the hell fires of reality. God has saved our soul through Jesus Christ. This is exactly what's being said here in this text. He says, listen, I'm rebuking thee. This is God's rebuke of Satan, and it's based on his grace toward his people. I was thinking about that old song, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Oh, yes. Listen, look at verse four and five. The Bible goes on. God restores Joshua the high priest. In verse 4 it says, And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him. Now, God is speaking to the ministering angels right here. These are He's speaking to those that stood before him, the ministering angels, and he gives them a command. He says, Take away the filthy garments from him, speaking of Joshua, and unto him, Joshua, he says, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. But notice verse 5, and there's a lot of uh, uh, debate on who this I is. It says, and I said, whether it's God the Father, whether it is the angel of the Lord or Jesus Christ, or whether it's Zechariah who's being given this vision, and he states it. There's three different views on this, but notice it says, and I said, let them set a fair miter, or a holy turban upon his head. So they set a fair miter upon his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Oh, my friends, we need to stop listening to the voice of the devil, and we need to start depending on the voice of truth. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8 reminds us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because the Lord is the same, you and I can be confident, as Hebrews 13, 5 says, is that He will never leave us and He will never forsake us. When the devil is accusing us, our Lord will be there. Amen? When the devil hurls accusations and says that we're covered in filthy garments... The Lord will just be standing by, watching the whole scene, waiting for God the Father to give the verdict. And and I can only imagine the Lord, I'm not even sure He has to say anything. He'd probably just look at the Father, shake His head, no, not guilty, not guilty. Turn with me as we close. Turn with me, I want to read a few verses before we close in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. in the precious Word of God. In Romans chapter 8, I want to draw your attention, when you get there, look down to verse number 31. And I want you to see what the Bible says in verse 31. The Bible says this. It says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now just stop and let that sink in. If God is for you, if God is for me, Paul is writing the church room, he says, who can be against us? Who could ever be against us if God is for us? Now notice verse number 32. It says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Verse 33, incredibly important. Notice it says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Verse 34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. I know I say it a lot, but you're just going to have to forgive me. What a Savior! What a Savior we serve! It's an amazing, an amazing Savior we serve. And if you're watching today, if you're watching And you have never, you have never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have never entered into a relationship with Jesus. You've heard about Him. You've maybe talked about Him. You've maybe heard people debate about Him, whether He's real or not. I want to encourage you. He is real. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. I put these these thoughts down. I would encourage you. I would challenge you. I would beg you. Whatever I could do, I'd pay you if I could to trust Him today. Trust Jesus as your Savior today because when we trust Jesus, here's what He does for us. He forgives us of our sin. He removes our filthy garments, right? He he puts His robe of righteousness on us and He eliminates, this is a great one, He eliminates anyone from successfully bringing charges against us. That's why I say what a Savior. 
Romans 8, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who can bring a charge against Jesus's saved believers, right? The, those who have placed their faith in Jesus. Who can, who can actually charge us with anything and succeed? The Bible's pretty clear. Nobody, nobody, not even the accuser of the brethren. I think right over here on the next page, I was thinking earlier in Romans chapter 10, it's an incredible uh, passage. It begins in verse number one. Uh, Paul is saying that his heart's desire was that all of Israel might be saved in verse number one. But if you go on and you read this in verse number two, he says, he says the problem is that, uh, that Israel, they had a zeal for God. They had an excitement for God. They had a fervor for God, but it wasn't according to knowledge. Right? So they were, they, they were zealous, but not in a way that was according to true biblical knowledge. And then in verse number three and four, notice what he says. I, I didn't realize it, it worked out. I'm here already. Notice it says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, right? And going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ, verse four, watch this. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. The, the point here is that no matter what you've done, Christ is our righteousness. There, there's no reason to try and earn your way to heaven no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter what sins you've committed. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you need to understand that He is the only way that you can become righteousness. Righteous. He paid the penalty for my sin and for your sin. All of our sins. He shed His precious blood not only to wash us, but to cleanse us from all sin. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, I'm thankful. It reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Isaiah in chapter 1 and verse number 18, the Bible says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Folks, when you and I come to Christ by faith and trust Him, He will forgive you. He forgave me many years ago. He forgave me of my sin. He cleansed me. He washed me white as snow. And I became a Christian. I became a Christ follower. Have I always done everything exactly the way that I should have according to Scripture? Absolutely not. I shake my head up and down and I say not. I do this to my kids all the time. It drives them crazy. No, I haven't always obeyed Scripture. I haven't always walked in a way that pleases God. That's the goal. Holiness is the goal. But when we allow the devil to hurl hateful accusations at us and to break our heart and to, to beat our conscience down to where we're feeling embarrassed, the reality is we run further away from God, not closer to Him. So if you've never trusted Christ today, understand that there's nothing you can do apart from calling out upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of your sin, right? And so I beg you, as Romans 10, 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I beg you to do that today. I beg you to trust Christ as your Savior today. And if you're a believer and you're watching, and I know we have our, our church family and regular attenders, and there are a lot of believers watching, and you're a believer, then you already know full well that sin in our lives not only uh, stains us, right? Our, our garments get a little filthy and soiled, but it also strains our relationship with God. It, it, it stains and it strains. God was so merciful. He was so gracious, right? To, to save us when we first trusted Christ. And He remains faithful. He remains just to forgive us of our sins today. It doesn't mean that we should sin just so that we can take advantage of God's grace. No, Paul wrote to the church at Rome and said, no, God forbid that you should sin so that grace should abound. The Bible is very clear in 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, what a Savior. He's faithful, but He's also just. He will, he will forgive us of our sins. He will cleanse us of that unrighteousness. He will put a clean garment on us, if you please, so that we might continue to draw closer to God, that we might endeavor to live holy as He is holy. John also wrote in 1 John, and I close, he, 
He wrote in 1 John 2, in verse number 2, he said, and he, speaking of Jesus Christ, is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means that he became the atonement or the mercy seat for you and for me. It's hard for me uh, to see how people don't see God, right? And how they fail to recognize and trust him. If you're a believer here today, call out upon the name of the Lord to, to forgive you. He's faithful and just. He will cleanse you of your unrighteousness. He's our mercy seat. He died on the mercy tree. If you've never trusted Christ, do it today. Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And I want to see each and every one of you one day in that beautiful by and by, that sweet by and by, when we see our Savior once again. Oh, what a day that will be when our Jesus we shall see, right? I love you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close our service. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that you will uh, be with us and dismiss us with your blessing today. Certainly a uh, little bit longer of a message today, but God, certainly worth the time in your word. I pray that if there's somebody that is watching right now, that they would simply quietly unto themselves, that they would pray a simple prayer uh, uh, of confession of their sin and call out upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of their sin and enter into a relationship with Jesus. And God, we understand that it's not about the words, but the desire of someone's heart to ask for forgiveness. Lord, I pray for believers today that may be feeling a little bit dirty. Maybe their garments are a little bit soiled or filthy and they, they have been feeling the, the attacks of the devil lately. Lord, I pray that you would give them the victory. Certainly we understand that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And so Lord, I pray that they would be uh, faithful to confess their sins, that they would understand your faithfulness, but they would also repent of their sins, that they would understand and see their sins in the same way that you see our sins and that they would ask for forgiveness. God, I love you. I thank you for what you've done through this series. I, I pray that this series has been a blessing to each and every one that has watched. And God, we look forward to what you're going to do in the coming days as we endeavor to meet back here together on site in a way that brings you honor and glory. Lord, I love you. Uh, and I'm so thankful for how you have worked through this series. I give you the praise and the honor for all that you have done and all that you will do. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you guys. I uh, look forward to seeing you very, very soon. Bye-bye.